Welcome to the Rooted in Change podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Jan, and you're listening to the Rooted in Change podcast. This show features European clean tech champions and their solutions to tackle the climate crisis. I'm delighted to speak to Peep, the Chief Development Officer at Fibonol. Fibonol develops a new generation of sugars, high purity lignin, and microcrystalline cellulose from hardwood. We'll talk about how the company turns forestry and wood industry leftovers into valuable products. Welcome, Peep. Hello, Jan. Happy to be here. Well, and I'm very happy to have you. As with all my other guests, I would love to know more about you. So tell me a bit about your background. Who are you? Hello. Like I said, my name is Pep Pitt, Chief Development Officer of Fibonacci uh, today. Uh, but obviously, all started quite some time ago when I uh, initiated my studies in the bachelor's, master's, and PhD in Tallinn University of Technology, Taltec, called today. And in general, the frame has been the environmental engineering. So for I think 10 plus years in total, I was in uh, studying and being part of the kind of academic uh, career mm -hmm. and fo focused on anaerobic digestion. So uh, everything that goes into the uh, waste management where you produce on the one hand the uh, bioenergy and on the other hand organic fertilizers. But uh, the PhD for me uh, defines people that they're able to do and carry out things that are very tiresome and at some point uh, nuisance. And at the end of the PhD, I understood that this academic career is not for me and I want to uh, go further out on the field and right. make things happen at, uh, at scale. And uh, first I was in the biogas sector consulting uh, biogas plants, how to optimize it, uh, how to put together the holistic view of the biogas plants. It's not just the energy generation, but it's a waste management, how to make the waste more benign on the environment, when to apply it as a fertilizer, et cetera, et cetera. And then at a certain point, uh, obviously things happen by luck. So I, I met with uh, a board member uh, of uh, Granul Invest, uh, mm -hmm. currently the one of the largest wood pellet producers uh, globally. And uh, then we started discussing about the existing problems of ash management. And half a year later, we already had on the paper solution how to granulate the ash, how to use it as organic fertilizer and uh, to solve the problem. And uh, due to my background uh, into this moment of 2016, middle of 2016, it was decided in the uh, company that uh, we want to look uh, other value chains and options, what can be done from wood instead of uh, bioenergy. And I happened to be uh, around and uh, had this opportunity to scout the world for uh, one and a half year to find the different solutions, starting from the uh, wood to energy via torrefaction, pyrolysis, then looking into the all the different biorefineries, obviously the uh, pulping process to produce the paper uh, out of the wood mm -hmm. up to very, very different uh, innovative solutions on the bit further away in the timeline. And uh, by 2018, we had made the choice uh, on the uh, sunburst pretreatment technology that is applied today in the Fibonol globally unique first-of-a-kind 
uh, hardwood biorefinery in Estonia. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, rest is uh, there is a long list of different developments, uh, engineering, procurement, uh, commissioning services, and now production. What has happened in five years? And uh, today we can say that uh, Fibonol, Fibonol is globally first uh, company that has made it at scale to convert woody biomass into uh, intermediates of uh, lignin sugars and specialty cellulose that can be used in different biomaterials and biochemicals uh, value chains further on. So that's the uh, very quick wrap up. And my role has been in Fibonol from the beginning, being the first employee uh, today where we are 50 plus people uh, yeah, guiding and leading it throughout the way of this uh, unique project. Super exciting. Thank you so much for the summary over the last uh, decade almost, or uh, more than a decade. Um, and really interesting to see how your journey from studying of a research PhD and that um, really led you to where you and the company are today. If you had to describe your technology to people not from the industry, how would you describe what you do that what you do in layman terms? Uh, usually as a little bit of joke then if people ask that what is the bread treatment about and uh, my first answer is that we co- combine thermochemical mechanical effects with the steam explosion to get uh, wood into uh, chocolate mousse like slurry in 20 seconds but uh, probably this one doesn't tell too much so uh, <laughs> in principle what we do is the solid uh, structure of the wood uh, is uh, is used in a uh, innovative uh, innovative bread treatment system that is based on twin screw extruder uh, where we combine different uh, effects uh, that are required to liquefy the wood and in very short time so it really happens in 20 seconds and we get kind of a sour cream or uh, chocolate mousse like uh, consistency material and then uh, that's basically where the food industry ends and we enter more into kind of food industry, uh, uh, downstream processing. So it's right. different se- separations, uh, uh, reactors, pumps, uh, trying the materials to get from this slurry the three different products separated and into the final consistency. So uh, this is the starting point. But obviously, uh, these are the sustainable raw materials. Uh, we call uh, Fipanol enabler of these kind of raw materials from uh, hardwood. And uh, the main reason why we do it is coming uh, from the conversion of those three products into the different intermediates and then use products uh, to try uh, to transform the industry and uh, drive the change towards a smaller CO2 footprint, but also in holistic context, more sustainable uh, industry. Right. And for our listeners who are not experts of the industries, the three intermediate products that you produce, where will they be used ultimately? I think there are applications in um, yeah, well, the sugar. Uh, yes, there, there's a very long list. So from the sugar right. viewpoint, we go into the different value chains of uh, fermentation. So uh, taking the yeast, bacteria, fungi that can convert the sugars either into uh, fuels 
biopolymers that can be used in the bioplastic production uh, into alternative food uh, proteins. Uh, I think into your podcast there have been different discussions around that. Yes. And uh, also kind of uh, construction material binders. Uh, if we take the lignin, then uh, there is a saying about the lignin that you can make everything out of lignin that you can make out of the fossil resources. Uh, I agree with that, but we are in the first steps of this journey. So uh, today, what we have uh, demonstrated at the industrial scale is that the lignin can be used as a partial uh, bitumen replacement in the asphalt roads. Uh, it can be used as a partial replacement of the phenol in the uh, phenol formaldehyde resins that are used for the veneer, for example, different wood adhesives. Uh, Lignova lignin can be used as a functional filler in different biopolymers and also uh, fossil-based plastics to reduce the CO2 footprint to make it more... Uh, uh, biodegradable uh, and also uh, the, the good feature about the lignin is that it has a sauna smell. So it really smells like uh, wood or processed wood, mechanically processed wood. So you, you notice a smell of sauna. So that's that's what it is. Right. Gotcha. And you said that you've come quite far. So maybe you can actually explain a bit more how you've turned the idea that you then identified or the concept that you identified um, in the time between 2016 and 2018 into uh, the track record that you have today. So sort of, uh, you mentioned the 50 plus people today as well. I think there's a production facility. So maybe you can shine a bit uh, more light on the steps there and how far you've come on your journey. Yes. So, um, like I said, then in 2018, uh, we made the investment decision into the first-of-a-kind industrial demonstration plant that we have now operational in uh, in Imaber, Estonia. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we found a technology that was at the technology readiness level of 5 to 6 uh, okay. from US, uh, and it was called the Sunburst Bread Treatment Package. And then uh, this... Uh, package had to be converted first into the uh, engine integrated engineering solution and this integrated engineering solution was a basis for then uh, all the uh, procurement and construction related uh, activities so 2019 there was the uh, groundbreaking uh, and then obviously 2019 to 2024 where we are today Close to 24, uh, there has been a lot of global uh, uh, hindrances or let's say uh, happenings. Challenging times in between. Challenging times in between. So starting with the COVID, uh, totally turning upside down everything. And then we have had the Russian uh, invasion to Ukraine. And as we are very close to... Uh, close to the Eastern Europe, then uh, it, it had a very thorough effect on us on the supply chain. So for uh, basically a few quarters, we didn't have any metal structure available. Uh, all the supply chains were dismissed. Right. Prices, in, uh, prices of different uh, inputs and utilities that we're using in our plant in this time frame uh, fluctuated uh, plus minus uh, 300% up and down. 
So it has been quite crazy times. Uh, but uh, throughout all these uh, challenges, we have managed, obviously, with a little bit of delay to get to the point of uh, uh, where we are today. Uh, so the plant is uh, commissioned. Uh, uh, one round of troubleshoot done, uh, second round of commissioning done, and now we have entered into the ramp-up phase. We have produced first hundreds of tons of the Lignova lignin, the C5C6 sugars, and at the same time we have built up a kind of pilot facility or pilot demo facility for the specialty cellulose development production at Tonscape. So uh, this is where we stand today. Uh, 2024 is the first year targeted operations of, uh, let's say, 5,000 hours uh, as a first ramp up year and 2025 as uh, targeted first uh, full operational year. And uh, yeah, we can say that we have gone through in this uh, five to six year time through the valley of death of the technology uh, scale up, uh, so from TRL 6 to technology readiness level of 9. And uh, now we are also in the place that we know what we would definitely do differently on certain process area design mm -hmm. and uh, equipment purchase. And we are already uh, have started the first site uh, planning activities for the first large plan. So Existing plant uh, is able to use uh, 30,000 tons a year of hardwood uh, and the first large plant will be 10 times the size. So we go into 300,000 tons a year. And uh, yeah, so obviously there is some steps in between and maybe the uh, we will probably come to the challenges later on, but the one of the challenges that if I look from 2015 to where we are today, then collectively in Europe, we have uh, allocated quite some uh, funding to the innovation in the bio industry, mm -hmm. bio-based industry and solutions. But what is uh, lacking behind is the kind of uh, support scheme or mandate-based scheme to create demand for these products. Because obviously, first of a kind versus the... Uh, Decades or centuries uh, mm. established processes is definitely different. Yeah. And the price position, so you cannot expect the sustainable solutions from day one to compete on the same field. And as we have uh, certain mandates and feed-in tariffs and obligations for the bioenergy and biofuels, and uh, for chemicals and materials industry, this is still lacking. And that's maybe the uh, main issue that today is on the market because you see that everybody knows that this kind of uh, regulative scheme and the support system uh, or mandate-based system is coming, but we don't know when. Right. And there is a kind of, uh, let's say, valley of death of regulative and uh, a market offtake uh, when you reach the reach out of the valley of death of the knowledge. So yeah. probably this is, um, but that's not uh, only our issue. I think it's in general bio-based industry industry issue. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting perspective. Do you, from your market insights, do you see that the market demand is there? So is it only a question sort of of price point, or how do you see the market behaving overall in terms of looking for alternative solutions? Everybody's looking. 
everybody's preparing, everybody's making the first steps to uh, be more ready. But today, the uh, let's say it, it's not that dominant uh, request by the end users yet that you would make this kind of move uh, against the existing uh, solutions. Because on the short term, it means uh, losing the competitive advantage or having yeah. the extra costs. So in that sense, uh, the mandates and kind of collective push towards conventional to new solutions is required to, to help everybody to materialize the preparations that they have done and to convert kind of a new solutions going out and trying to find the clients and the interested parties to start collaborating, we should try to switch it around in a way that the existing industry should be proactively seeking that if somebody gets with the technology to the scale that is industrially valid and scalable, then there would be a kind of a queue and competition on that. And that's the main uh, switch that we need on the EU level to really push forward towards the Green Deal uh, general ambition to be materialized as soon as possible. Gotcha. You started to touch upon the challenges. So what other challenges did you have to overcome despite sort of the global uh hardships of war in Ukraine, COVID, um, and obviously regulatory issues. What else was there on the road as as you had to overcome the... Maybe uh, the there are... Rally? In total, there are three main issues for me. One, uh, one we just uh, talked about is the kind of uh, push and pull question of the market. Uh, then the second mm -hmm. one uh, itself is the regulatory framework. So the regulatory framework today uh, is quite inflexible uh, and it's based on the conventional solutions. So we are uh, very much uh, used with the fossil-based chemistry and all the regulation around is built for the fossil-based chemistry. And if we now enter there with the bio-based alternatives, uh, yeah, there, there are certain drop-ins where it's a bit easier, but if it is not the drop-in, then uh, to have the regulations change and become uh, flexible to accommodate these different raw materials is very time-consuming. So I would say that a lot of innovations uh, today are regulated to death before, it, before they even have a chance to be tested out at scale. So uh, this is definitely one point where I would uh, suggest, uh, again, the kind of a pivot or switch mm -hmm. that let's deregulate uh, the bio industry until 2030. Let's push the new solutions on the market. Let's apply them on scale and see how they work. Then collect the data and then on the emp empirical basis, let's start regulating. But today we are just hindering and stopping the uh, uh, the developments. For me, maybe the best case uh, example for that is discussion around the agricultural plastic. So we we use the polyethylene that is not degradable at all. Uh, so we, you you can try to recycle it, but anyway, it will still uh, stay in the soil and it's rot tilled into the soil. And then we have the bio-based solutions. 
that are confirmed in industrial terms biodegradable. But in the soil, obviously, it depends what kind of soil, what kind of climatic conditions it will degrade in uh, one year, two years, or three, five years, but it will degrade. But yeah. today, in instead of putting those solutions already into work, we are uh, asked by the regulative side to uh, first make a test of five to ten years, then we need to monitor and we need to see and uh, after that, you can go to the market. But th this is delaying all the developments for the whole market, for the whole innovation. So just as a one example, and it's not only this example, it's in each sector the same way. And the... It's also interesting what you mentioned about the uh, novel proteins, for example, where I think a lot of companies due to regulation are now heading to Singapore because of the fast forward process in terms of bringing their products to mark and actually showcasing the benefits and and that we're in Europe then losing sort of our possibility and the opportunity to turn this into a, a competitive advantage for us and creating the next uh, industrial revolution here in Europe and not somewhere else. I fully agree. We are in discussion with very many uh, new wave of alternative protein process developers. And uh, yeah, it, it's a headache for the whole sector, uh, yeah. I can assure. The third point that I would like to highlight is definitely the uh, CO2 and how we uh, measure, monitor and uh, report the CO2. Because uh, the main drive for the uh, industry to change is uh, CO2-based uh, reduction targets. But there is no standardized way how we should count it. And this makes very hard to compare apples to apples. Uh, each sector, each uh, uh, supplier can uh, give you numbers based on different allocations, based on different exclusions. And it's very hard for the end user to make any kind of uh, knowledge-based uh, decision. And uh, for us, what we are building uh, with Fibanol is not just the Let's say, uh, to, we don't want to build uh, factories. Uh, we are building the model uh, of the future of the bio industry or uh, woody biomass based bio refiners. And uh, what it means is that we have built up already today's uh, demonstration facility, uh, taking in, into account uh, resource efficiency in very different aspects. So uh, the technology why it's so groundbreaking innovation is that it allows to convert over 90% of the wood into useful products of the lignin and the sugars. So it's a stepwise change compared to the uh, existing other technologies. Uh, we have applied uh, this kind of water treatment uh, system in our plant that we can reuse minimum 70%, but our target is 95% of the uh, uh, wastewater. So the whole wastewater treatment uh, plant concept is built around the recycling, not just cleaning it to the minimum standards to just put it into the uh, effluent stream of the, to the nature. Basically creating almost a circular water process. Yes. Well, obviously, it cannot be prepared to mobile, but, uh, but uh, to the max that is uh, reasonably reachable. And obviously, it's 100% renewable energy-based. But uh, the uh, 
One of the challenges, obviously, if you're so resource efficient with converting the wood into the products means that you need some external energy. This means, again, that uh, on the one hand, you can have some uh, steam generation, at, for example, at site, but you need electricity. And this means uh, the general challenge that we have in Europe to go uh, and turn the energy supply from the fossil based into the renewable energy windmills, solar, uh, questions about the nuclear, how this one fits into the picture, uh, energy storage, energy grids, etc., etc. So in the future, uh, the more sustainable you want to be, the more electricity you need to use, and it all needs to be renewable energy based. And uh, maybe the last aspect about this uh, concept is uh, is that we, we have taken the approach that it's... Uh, Full visibility. So from the CO2 footprint, mm -hmm. we already today have on our products officially third-party validated environmental product declarations. We have done the ISO standards-based life cycle analysis uh, calculations. So we know the CO2 footprint. We know the other impact categories of our products. And uh, what is the main challenge in this? So if you want to be transparent, and it's very hard to get primary data-based information into your model from your supply uh, today because it's not demanded. Uh, and doing it on the industry average-based numbers that are coming from some uh, databases uh, or some industry associations, it gives a very large bias into the whole, uh, whole calculation mechanism. And if I look at this biorefinery concept that we are building Maybe the only missing piece or where we know uh, we can reduce our CO2 footprint probably even by half uh, by targeting certain, certain supply chain uh, decisions and also the logistics chain. So today it's based on the regular diesel, but there we have also option to go to the biomethane uh, as a compressed natural gas, liquefied natural gas, uh, there are options of locally produced bioethanol, biodiesel, and by that you can also significantly reduce the logistics uh, footprint. But uh, these, all these things, in, in addition, uh, comes at additional price. And this comes to the first point of the pull and offtake and what we really want. Yes. So, uh, in general, I I call the Fibonol uh, demonstration plant in Imavera kind of. Uh, ultimate challenge for the Green Deal because we are combining all the effects what the Green Deal wants to achieve in one bio-industry uh, together. And now we come to the point of what is the uh, kind of initial real price of sustainable products. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, and it's interesting that in the current debate, also to your example earlier around the the plastic, um, you know, the question of isn't biodegradability, even if it's only partial, better than what we have today, and shouldn't that be fast forwarded? Um, it's interesting how, sorry, sort of our current set of products doesn't account at all for the external costs that we're looking at, um, and thereby, if you're launching a truly sustainable product or offering a truly sustainable solution, that internalizes those costs you will end up at a higher price point but due to the current set of regulations um, it's hard to compete with that yeah, definitely and this uh, from the co2 wood 
footprint viewpoint, uh, what we want to highlight also is that the CO2 is a good measure, but it shouldn't be used as the only measure because there are so many different aspects of the land use chains of the water, yeah. uh, fertilizer use, fertilizer runoff, uh, so etc. 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 So all these externalities need to be taken account into some extent uh, to compare apples to apples. CO2 itself only as a single measure is also kind of biased picture. Yeah, exactly. And I guess it's um sort of one that now finally has made it into mainstream attention at least. People now know what I guess what, what a CO2 footprint is or at least CO2 emissions and can relate to that. So I think this is why a lot of uh, people and company use that as a KPI to say, look, we're reducing our CO2 uh, footprint by X percent this year. And people are like, oh, you know, you're making progress. But you're absolutely right that um, in order to assess one sustainability progress, you need to look at a wider set of, of KPIs to really understand and assess the impact a company and a product has. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you described all the challenges, I would love or almost to ask you now what keeps you going, but I, I want to spare that question to the end. So before we go there, I, I'm wondering, you mentioned 2024 and 25 already. So what's what's ahead for Five and All in the next um, years and or even months um, as you're uh, scaling your production capacity so what are your main targets for the for the upcoming time ahead well yeah, the, the discussion so far might have uh, painted a very dark picture uh, but uh, yeah the future what we do is a future uh, and and we see a very important role of Pibanol in really driving the transformation in the chemicals and materials sector uh, at least in EU. So, uh, like said, uh, 2025 for us is a kind of decision point where we would like to get to the point of final investment decision for the first large plant. And as Fibonol uh, today is also uh, owner of the IP and technology and all the global rights of the pretreatment that is the unique innovation, and for us, uh, the pathway forward is combination of uh, own and operate model uh, together with developing the licensing package to uh, roll it out uh, globally where the uh, available uh, hardwood resources are. And on top of that, uh, I think we are still grasping the very early potential of the promise of these raw materials for the whole industry uh, where we can really go. So we have already long list of different uh, uh, application and product uh, developments. Uh, together with uh, different industrial partners in existing EU projects in uh, applied and to be applied EU projects. And I think one of the, for me, the specialty cellulose that we have uh, been able to extract in the piloting line at ton level is the real material of the future. Uh, there is a lot of work to uh, still to be done, uh, but the promise, there is a huge promise there. And obviously, uh, the lignin lignova that we have is, uh, uh, I still believe that we can, uh, in the midterm or longer term, do everything from lignin that we today know how to make from fossil resources. 
-hmm. but we need to go from the lignin as a powder to lignin bio refining. So we need to get the more specific fractions out of the lignin with the more specific qualities and functionalities that will go into different value chains. And then we can really uh, talk about that we can go from bitumen to specialty chemicals to carbon fiber, etc. So uh, I mean, it's similar to what you what we now do with fossil fuels as well, right? When you refine crude oil, you do the same that you get out the the fractions that are uh, relevant for the specific applications you're looking at. Yes, and so uh, timeline viewpoint obviously takes uh, 2025 uh, investment decision into the first uh, commercial plant. Uh, it takes dependent on the permissions uh, and uh, all the paperwork that you need to do for a large industrial site. It can take five to six years. Uh, so uh, we head towards 2030 timeline to have the first large plant up and running uh, and uh, on the one hand it, it's a long time still to uh, wait for but on the other hand it's a very good time to develop all this uh, uh, throughout the value chain partnerships so from really the uh, sustainably managed forest and uh, hardwood biomass to final products and uh, yeah convincing and turning all the stakeholders in between uh, to talk uh, to talk the same talk to walk the same walk or maybe even to say that we cannot walk the walk walk the talk anymore we need to run right. we need to, we need to sprint the walk uh, that right. we have today so and this is very interesting uh, as i told we can go from very different sectors from fermentation to uh, road uh, to carbon fiber to specialty chemicals it's a huge perspective and huge diversity of end applications uh, where we can make a uh, difference. And today our main aim is to find the uh, to find the right players in each of the different sector that is uh, ready to start the journey with us together with the 2030 targets in mind. Yeah, I really like that analogy of not just walking the talk, but sprinting the talk. That's uh, that's a really good picture. Uh, one last follow-up question. You said before that um, you're looking at geographies that have a vast supply of raw materials. Can you give more background on where those geographies potentially might be in the future? Well, if, if today we limit ourselves with the hardwood uh, because we know how the technology works on that. And if, if you think about hardwood, then we use birch. Then the uh, Baltic sites, there is also older. Uh, if you go to the Central Europe, you have uh, poplar and peach. Uh, if you go to Northern America, on top of birch, you have also the maple. If you go to Southern America, you have a uh, eucalyptus that is, uh, well, yeah, quite uh, quite massive amounts uh, in the plantations also available. And uh, definitely, there are also hardwood species in uh, on the eastern side, so the Asia and. Uh, uh other regions uh, uh involved so uh there is ample raw, raw material available hardwood is less used and valorized today uh, also but obviously it all needs to be in the uh, I, I like the planetary boundaries view so and the planetary boundaries yeah, in the end uh, in the end it needs to be converted to Country level, county level, but also the uh, let's say the industry factory level. Uh, 
So raw material has to be sustainably managed, sustainably collected, and within the uh, generally agreed harvesting rates, uh, sustainably harvested rates and according to the practices. And uh, around that, you can start building the factories. And what I like about the concept that we have is that, in a sense, it's modular. So we don't need to say that we need to build this large plant, but we have certain flexibility because the pre-treatment is modular. It's kind of a many pre-treatment units running in parallel instead of one large one that defines that it needs to be this uh, this amount. And this gives certain flexibility. And uh, you can also use different, uh, uh, different hardwood streams at the same time, bringing also the supply chain flexibility. So yeah, for me, it's really the model of the future of the biorefiners and uh, bioindustry. Uh, if we talk about the uh, hardwood biomass, and uh, we are just one example. Uh, we need uh, very many different this kind of biorefinery models for different kind of raw materials. Uh, to succeed at the same time, because the challenge ahead in the general transformation that we are facing is uh, we are different biorefinery models are not competing to each other. We are uh, competing or uh, having the same goal to try to change. Yeah, you're driving the industry together, I guess. Yes. Well, then let's get to the last question that I already hinted before. And I guess now that we've turn sort of from the challenges to the very positive outlook for you. What is it that keeps you going in trying to change the industry? And also looking back at where we started this podcast conversation, you know, you said uh, you you started your studies, um, bachelor's, master's, PhD, and now we're looking at the 2030 horizon. That's actually not too far away. And yet at the same time, it's if you look back then, it's quite quite a long time spent already that you're dedicating to that issues, you know, from scouting the idea that's almost uh, soon a, a decade already. Um, so what is it that, that keeps you going and keeps you motivated in order to, together with uh, the other industry players, to drive the change? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So... Uh... I think the whole story that we have just discussed is, uh, like I said, it's something that you cannot learn in the school. And uh, for me, it has been a privilege to be part of this uh, this journey of this kind of new innovative technology, breakthrough technology uh, scale up. And uh, just seeing the the potential, the, the, the immense uh, impact that you can create by uh, scaling up and industrializing these kind of solutions to uh, to support the ambition of the Green Deal. Well, I think this uh, has kept me uh, waking up for the last uh, seven years and we, it will keep me waking up for the for the decades coming. So uh, and and on the general context, obviously the understanding where we have got with the uh, current system uh, it needs to change and as i have also two year and five year old back home then you start thinking about things a bit differently putting it into perspective and where, where the world will be in 30 years where where they need to make a decision that uh, if to have the uh, 
for me the grandchildren or not. So uh, I think that's uh, uh, having having a place where my grandchildren can enjoy the life as I was able to. Is the kind of uh, general umbrella, I would say. Yeah, I think that's a really strong motivation as soon as you... Uh, and I, I can also share that that really changed for me when uh, my son was born, that that moment uh, really was transformational in a sense that I started to question a lot of things that I was doing before. Um, and it really underpins for me a, a driver that I want for him and uh, whoever might come uh, after him to create sort of the best possible life uh, and it's it sounds a bit cliche but it's really a um an impactful driver that can keep you going or that that really keeps you going and keeps you get up in the morning literally also because i guess they the young ones wake up quite early um yes and that 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 helps you to stay focused and uh, to dedicate your your work time to that enormous challenge that lies ahead and at the same time i think it also lets you appreciate how far you've already come on that journey because you see that things are happening change is happening as we as we go along um so yeah i'm i'm hopeful for uh you and uh, for everyone um yeah thank you very much so uh we have come already long way but uh there is long way still ahead and uh but it is it is going to be a very interesting journey Yes, and as we've just said, you know, maybe for for the second half of the race it will be a sprint. But I think we're now well prepared and well trained to um, to win the race. Yes, hopefully. Well, Pete, it was lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for making the time. Um, I hope our listeners enjoyed the episode. I surely did. Um, again, thank you so much, and talk to you soon. Thank you. 